Welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. It's weird seeing your face as I do this. <laughs> yeah. um, for, for you guys listening, this is the first time James and I are ever doing this via Zoom, which you would think three years down the line we would have done this before, but we never have. I don't know why we've never thought of this. I think mainly it's, quite... it's because like uh, Zoom only gives you an up to an hour and we normally have like a pre-record chat before we even start. And I think, yeah. don't you have like a special student thing because you're yeah, at I'm uni? Yeah, le- I'm not even a student anymore, but I think I've still got this for another two years. So I'm just leeching off of the my email. We're absolutely going to make the most of this. Um, so, uh, as you will know, because you're listening to this episode, this is a, uh, a special episode for us. Uh, because this is the first episode in three years that we've been making the pod uh, that we have a guest joining us um, in this episode. It's very exciting. Um, I think we, we spoke about this off air, but when we pitched the idea of this podcast, first of all, we were sat in a Weatherspoons in London, the smallest Weatherspoons I've ever been in, which is a pub for our friends across the pond. Um, and we would like sort of riff in and give in ideas. And we we're saying that having guests and talking to normal people about their experiences in life would be really cool. And that's somewhere where we want to go with it. And I love that after three years, we've, we've finally done it. It's not just, it was not just like a flash in the pan idea. Like it's actually happened. Yeah. Um, which I think, which I think is great. Yeah. It's, it's coming to, uh, it's more, it's coming to life. The, this, this whole thing almost like it's coming full circle now. Uh, but I do think now, uh, if we can have a, a moment of reflection that we've needed these sort of three years to really sort of build us, ourselves up a little bit. Now, uh, for you guys listening, you know what we're about. You know what we can, you know, what, what, what we provide and what we do. And, you know, now we're at that stage three years on where we've built ourselves a sort of a platform where we can now uh, talk to people who are not just, you know, names and letters on a on a screen where i'm we're doing loads of research we can actually now meet mm. some of these people face to face so yeah it's been absolutely fantastic uh that we're able to do that now um and it it just opens doors to us because obviously if you're listening to this and you've got a call you've done something cool just let us know just just let us know just drop us a message and we'll, we'll i'm very interested in doing this more often so if you if you genuinely have a story about yourself or your involvement in in something, just drop us a message. Let us know, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, as you'll know, because it will be in the title uh, today, we're going to be talking to uh, Gina, who, as I'm sure many of you have heard her name before, uh, Gina has been helping me when we were writing the Mormons episode. Uh, Gina uh, grew up in the Mormon Church in Utah and has been an invaluable source of information for me whilst i was writing this that mammoth of a series uh, that was the mormons and joseph smith um so yeah uh, what we wanted to do uh, was that gina had given us so much information about the church but she's also given us loads of information on her personal life within the church now obviously we couldn't get all of that into the main episode because obviously we're talking mainly about joseph smith um but I really wanted us to get to talk to her and have her share her experience um, just on a one-to-one basis with James and I. Um, so yeah, we brought her on 
and um, yeah, we had a really nice chat about uh, modern Mormonism and her experience within the church. Um, so yeah, without further ado, should we get into it? Let's let's introduce the episode. I hope you guys love listening to it as much as we love recording it. Honestly, I thought I, I, I feel great about it. I thought it was such a great episode. So thank you so much, Gina. And yeah, let, let's crack on. All right. Over to us. So I'm Gina. I was born and raised in Utah, where the Mormon church is headquartered. Um, I was born into the church. Uh, I actually, my, I think it's like my great, 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 great grandpa helped build the Mormon temple that is in Salt Lake. He was one of the original guys that like helped put that together. And there's like some some seal or something that's like buried underneath the temple that like people kind of didn't know about but we like I knew about it because my family had been like involved in it um we also have a journal from one of my someone in my family it's a grandparent one of my grandfathers who was with Joseph Smith when he was in prison in jail when he was in Illinois and when he was you know killed eventually and it's all like in his journal like all of his experiences with it so my family has a lot of ties to the start of mormonism oh wow that's crazy it is crazy (laughs) and then it's crazy um i left i have left the church i'm no longer a part of the church um i used a lawyer and had my records removed from like my name removed from their records, mm. which has been a sore spot for family, but that's all right. <laughs> I imagine so. Um. Well, okay then. So let, let's um let's maybe like go from the start. So um, right. when I when uh, when we when we were on the show and like James and I got the recommendation for doing the Mormons <laughs> and it, it was we sort of started really looking into it. I was like, oh, this is heavy. Um, it was I, think, I believe you messaged me and was just like, hi Ryan, like look if you need any help um yeah um, I know a lot about this stuff um and obviously you've been an amazing source for me like just like finding out so much stuff Uh, but obviously um when we're trying to talk about Joseph Smith there's only like so much I'm trying to like try and keep it on like some like narrative and obviously using some of your sources to like help me like uh frame the story a bit more um but then what we really wanted to do was get like a moment where we could talk about you and your story right. within the church. And like, obviously we discussed the origins of Mormonism with Joseph Smith and everything that came with it. Um, but as James and I were discussing like off air at some point, it's like, it'd be fascinating to get to talk about what it's like now and right. see how different it is or how similar it might still be. Um, right. So, so you, you were born into the, yes. uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, yes. So how how was that like growing up in it? So I come from a background that is a little weird. So my mom was a teenager when she had me, which was an immediate mark on me um, within the church. I was I was born. I was this baby of this unwed teenage mother. Um, so in a sense, there were kids who could talk to me at church and like be interactive with me but I was not allowed like I was never invited to their houses to play um because I came from because the way that my mother had me immediately made me unworthy 
um, in their view of me being able, like I, I was going to influence, as a child, I could influence their children to be teenage mothers or something because I was a product of a teenage mother, which always rubbed me really wrong as a kid. I, I was very aware of that. Um, my grandfather was also born into the church, but never believed in it. Um, or at least I don't know how much he believed in it. He was never an active member. So I was always, I always had that um, person that didn't attend church who was more accepting of me. So I, at a young age, kind of got the sense that something's not right here. Um, but, you know, I went to church every Sunday with my grandma. Um, we never missed a Sunday. She was very big on, we followed all of the rules and the teachings of the church with the exception of tea <laughs> because oh, yes. she um our last name is york and she immediately was like we're from the house of york and i was like <laughs> i no we're probably not <laughs> but since that gave her like we have to drink tea to hold on to our english roots which i was I always like that <laughs> and i to this day like i drink tea regularly um I when I was in sixth grade I did a report on England we did a country's report and I brought in tea and biscuits most of the <laughs> class did not partake in my tea and biscuits but I, I was like I don't care this is <laughs> they're missing out they, they are, are they're totally missing out well um, quickly then since quickly since since we're on that can we just take a second to talk about the hot drinks yes. because I remember you messaging me being like Mormons absolutely love a hot chocolate <laughs> They do. And it's supposed to be like, you know, the caffeine. They don't have the caffeine. Um, their motto is your body is a temple treated as such. Right. But you would die at the amount of Diet Coke that is consumed in the state of Utah. <laughs> <laughs> they have the, and they dub it dirty Diet Coke where they like put splashes of like peach or raspberry like they have these syrups that they put in we have we're like the only state Idaho has them in Arizona because Idaho's right above us and Arizona's right below us so there's you know we've kind of Mormons have kind of spread there there's specialty soda shops where you can go and I joke around and I say oh it's the Mormon cocktail because they can't have a real <laughs> cocktail so they go to these specialty shops and make these fancy drinks um like these sodas, which goes against their word of wisdom because they're consuming a ton of caffeine with Coke and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, they And they love a hot chocolate because they, they were like, oh, it's just hot drinks. Can't have hot drinks. I'm like, well, you guys, like literally you go to the temple. So the Mormon temple at Christmas, they have these beautiful Christmas lights. They do it, they do it up really beautiful and open it up to the public. You can't go in the temple, but you can walk around on the grounds and it is gorgeous, freezing cold. It, it gets super cold here in the winter. So many hot chocolate stands. And, I'm always, and I always ask my husband, I don't think there's really, like, you can't have the hot drink. <sighs> so it, it gets really murky um, because it almost feels, and, and this is how Mormons kind of work. The rules apply to them when it's convenient and the rules apply to everyone else all the time. Mm. Um, and it, that is, a thing across the board, especially in the state of Utah. And, and I'll say there's a difference between a Mormon and a Utah Mormon. 
And almost anyone will tell you that, any, even Mormons will tell you that. Mormons outside of Utah are just generally happy, go lucky, good people. Mormons inside of Utah, it becomes a hierarchy and a competition of who can be the best Mormon and who they like to throw you under the bus, not to make you look bad, but to make themselves look better. Right. Um, and that is a thing that you will experience in Utah at any given point or time. They're very, it's very judgmental. Um, and it's, it's really hard um, to deal with that sometimes. So yeah, well, it's... uneducated like me, Brian yes. told me this, the hot drink, <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand yeah. the logic of not consuming hot drinks. Right. Well, you said, you I said think it's about you said it's about the caffeine. Is that is that because it's some sort of like body altering substance or mind altering substance? But what about for example if I say green tea that has no caffeine, it's just like a peppermint tea, for example. Is that but the, no, that's not the because of the the herbs in it. They there's something that they are convinced that it's going it because it's gonna alter something in your body and God made your body to be the temple for your soul. And if you were altering your body then that's bad. So going off of that, what's the stance on sort of modern medicine, which is body altering and mind altering substances? <laughs> so this is so if it's prescribed by a doctor, they say that it's okay. Um, Utah has a high rate of antidepressant usage. We're one of the highest rates in the United States. Um, they also really love plastic surgery. Oh, which is very. Because tattoos are part of the word of wisdom. You can't have a tattoo, which I have three tattoos. So, and that, that contributes to part of why I left the church. Um, but my tattoos are bad, but like every, almost every person in my neighborhood has fake boobs and a tummy and which is fine. That doesn't bother me. But I, why am I being judged when you're, you're altering your body too you're altering your body probably more than I am with my tattoo so it's it's very weird that's very interesting um I joked about I think in like a third episode um sort of mentioning how you say like there's Mormons and then there's like Utah Mormons um and saying that I was getting to the point where I'm watching Mormon created videos talking about like uh some of the temples and whatnot and being like oh they just seem like really nice people and i'm like yeah i could get in on this and then also researching all the other <laughs> sort of odd sides of to put it nicely like all the other odd parts to it and being like yeah no this is not like obviously we all know my stance on religion um <laughs> yeah no i think isn't that like kind of part of the thing and it seems to be like a part of the thing for quite a lot of sort of religions is that everyone's very very nice and enticing at the beginning just to kind of get you through the door have a couple yes. of biscuits have a have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something uh and then and then and then it starts getting a bit intense yeah it gets weird um so part of and this is kind of a little like side tangent um so when I was a kid and I was going to, to church so we go to primary when you're under 12 you go to primary and you're divided up into groups of your age and that's the class that you go to and all through primary they would tell you like you should question your faith like that's an important part of building your relationship with god you should question it you should research to make sure that you know 
that this is true. And a lot of that is you need to pray to ask for answers, like pray and ask God, like, am, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Which I remember as a kid, um, my mom ultimately at some point married my, my father, um, who was, couldn't keep a job. He was, he was into hard drugs, was very abusive. Um, some horrible, horrible things happened. Um, to me as a child because of that. And I remember I would pray and just be like, you know, did I do something wrong to end up in this situation? And am I in the right religion? And, you know, and I'm like, this is when I'm like eight, nine years old, um, right around the time that I was baptized. And I always wondered what I was doing wrong. And I never felt this sense of uh, this is right. This is where I'm supposed to be this and I approached people in the leadership of the church and asked, hey, um, you know, I've prayed and I, I'm not getting these feelings. What, you know, what am I supposed to do? And the answer always was, well, you're not praying hard enough and you're not asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. And because you're not, you're, you're, you can't have, you can't have the answers. And I, I was a kid, I didn't understand, but now as adult, an adult, I look back and I've gone to these people and said, what kind of a God is going to put a child in that situation and then be like, I'm not answering you and I'm not going to give you the warm fuzzies because you asked it wrong and you prayed wrong. Cause that seems mm. really fucked up, you know, like that's wrong. Yeah. No, it, 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 it reminds me of um, Stephen Fry's uh, interview famously where he's asked about, you know, God and whatnot. And he said, what would you ask him if you was to ever meet him? And he'd just say bone cancer in children. Uh, what's that about? <laughs> yeah why, why would an all-loving person do that um, yes <laughs> yeah um so uh I, I remember you sort of um in one of our correspondences before uh saying when you were when you were eight and you were baptized in church and this this interview you had to have with like a, a sort of a middle-aged man what was that like so that was I had asked during that interview um you know like hey I'm not getting these warm fuzzies should I get baptized? And they were like, oh, definitely. <laughs> they really wanted me to be a part of the numbers. Um, it's very uncomfortable. They do, they ask you, um, have you had any sexual thoughts? And you're this eight, you're, I'm an eight-year-old child because that's the age that you get baptized. And so it happens at the very end of you being seven because you usually get baptized the first Sunday after your eighth birthday. And okay you know have you ever had these sexual thoughts have you ever touched yourself have you ever um like are you attracted you're a girl are you attracted to women do you think they're pretty or do you like boys and just these very like uncomfortable questions and you know you go into the interview your parents are not allowed in there with you it's just you and the bishop and you know full well they prep you if you answer wrong, this, you're going to be in trouble. And so it's this pressure of, even if you're like, yeah, I've thought about sex, I'm a human. You, if you say it, you're going to be in trouble. So you have to suppress it and you can't be honest. And it's one of your first interactions with an adult, like one-on-one, -on -one, you know, as a kid without your parents and you're just being taught, like you, you have to say the right things. Don't be honest. Don't be open. And I think that really starts the manipulation of getting people 
to not be able to think for themselves so that they can be controlled within the religion. Yeah. That's terrifying. So before we started this call, you mentioned that a lot of things are sort of hidden from you in terms of like education about the church when, when you're in it. <laughs> but in Ryan's deep dive in the, the episodes we did, we spoke about things like the uh, burying heads in hats to see the golden plate and transcribe them, the tarred prophet. There seems to be a lot of violence as well in the creation of the church. How much of it is censored in terms of what they teach you about what the church is? So you never learn about the violence. Um, you really, you're just told that you learn about Joseph going to the field and he prays. You don't ever know that the angels come multiple times. You just learn that he goes and they, there's these pictures of Joseph praying and these three spirits are surrounding him and there people hang in Utah. It's common for people to have those hung in their homes. It, they're hung throughout the churches. Um, and you just get this sense that, oh, this, this young man went into the forest and he prayed and God came to him and said there, I have these gold plates and I want you to turn them into this book and save the world. That's really what we're taught. They, we, in, you guys talked about the, uh, Lamanites and all, there's a primary song that we sing about how they all you know we're all saved because of them and and it's like this cute fun churchy song and it's catchy and <laughs> as an I grew up and um there's a thing I don't I think I told you about it Ryan it's called the CES letter yes um and there was a student at BYU do you guys know what you guys know what BYU is um yeah Brigham Young University Brigham Young University it's located in Provo Utah for any listeners that don't know it's a college that was started in Brigham Young's name. The Mormon church runs it. Um, and a student at, I, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, a student at BYU had asked some questions and essentially was like, "These, I need some answers on these points of the history. Um, and nobody could answer him. And he ultimately ends up writing this. It's kind of like a pamphlet um, with all these questions of, you know, how does God change his mind on black people being allowed in the church? And then how does he change his mind on letting them have the priesthood? And why is it that when we're in the life before coming here, that they even were turned black because they couldn't decide if they wanted to follow Jesus or Satan? Like, it's all... And as, as I became an adult and I started to look into things and kind of started realizing like, oh, you know, this is murky and I mm. came to research for myself um that's when I was like oh I wish I would have never sang these songs as a kid but I didn't know any better so I was just indoctrined into it the the explanation of Lamanites uh is is mind-blowing <laughs> <Forgive laughs> and that's me, how me, is this the the justification of the genocide of the Native Americans was that what that was yes so part of that um when so and um and you guys didn't really cover a lot of this which makes sense because it's further down in the history when they when we came not we when the mormons came to utah they dressed up as native americans and shot at the mormons so that the mormons could retaliate no and way. essentially just wipe them out 
Um, and that's that's a hidden part of the history. That's not something that you know they want anybody to know about. But it did. It it happened. Um, there's a show called Under the Banner of Heaven. Um, it Andrew Garfield is in it. It's really it's well done. Mm. It's about a Mormon family in Utah, the Lafferty's, and two of the brothers murder their younger brother's wife and 18 month old baby it happened in the 80s it was really sad it's and it's all true it's all accurate um and they they kind of briefly touch on hey you guys wiped out all of the native americans in utah because you wanted this land so that you could settle the church um but no mormons aren't aware of any of this because it's hidden and you're essentially told when you're doing your research to, you know, about your religion, you, these are the places you can look. And if you look anywhere else, you're risking Satan coming in and giving you wrong information. And that's how they hide their history. And it's super easy and convenient and members buy into it. That, that was going to be sort of my follow-up to that was what, how do you get away nowadays anyway, sort of just, people having five minutes on google and then sort of figuring yeah. things out and going hold on a minute i wasn't told that and then going to speak to a higher up an elder of sorts and saying what 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 where does this sort of come around how how do they get around that is it like as you say oh but well, listen that's you're being tempted like and don't, yes. you shouldn't listen to it so last so right actually right now uh a thing is happening called general conference it happens uh twice a year for the mormon church um the prophet and all of his apostles, they, everyone goes to Salt Lake and there's this huge broadcast and they essentially twice a year, it's like, this is our message from God. This is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do the next six months. It's a huge deal. Um, and last, the last general conference, I believe it was either the spring or the last fall, um, they they came out and said because the ces letter and there's a it's a letter to my it's called a letter to my wife that a guy wrote to his wife about these are my questions and the church won't answer them um that people have been reading members have been reading and ultimately leaving the church because they're like these should be answered these questions need to be answered and they're not being answered so they essentially came out in conference and they said look there's these things out there and people are talking about them and it's just Satan and he's tempting us. And if you want to, these are the websites that you can go to, to research our history. And if you go anywhere else, you're going to be tempted. And if you go somewhere and you look at these things, you are a lazy learner. And uh, so you're going to stray anyways. <laughs> so, okay, and it's like, okay. no, I it's, and, it, and it's hard to find, like, you have to dig to find these and you have to pay, like we had to, my husband and I bought the CES letter, we had to pay for it. And I, I'm like, I'm not lazy. I put a lot of time and effort into making sure I was doing the right thing before I left. Hmm. So how, where was sort of the, the beginning of the end for you within sort of the church? How, how did that come around? So I, when I look back at my past, I think the beginning of the end was really when I was a child and I was ostracized because of my mother. My mother's a, a wonderful woman um, and that was hurtful, but I stuck 
with it. You know, I was like, okay, this is, and they tell you, you have a trial. Everyone has a trial in life. So I'm all, oh, this is my trial. This is what I have to get through. Um, I kept going to church when I turned 18. Um, I had been living with my great grandmother for probably I, at that point it had been two or three years. Um, I was going to church with my grandmother because I was kind of bouncing back and forth between the two of them. And I was, I had a calling to be a primary teacher. And so I was teaching the sunbeams and they're the two and three-year-olds. And I got a tattoo on my foot. Um, it's a star. It's in memory of my grandpa. And I come to church and the following week, they have this big sharing time. And they told all of the kids about the word of wisdom with a huge emphasis on tattoos and essentially uh -huh. told the kids, if you get a tattoo, you're going to hell. Like they literally said those words. And so then after the sharing time, I take my little class back to teach them. And I have these like super upset two and three-year-olds that are like crying and they're like, but we don't want you to go to hell. We love you. You're our teacher. And I told all of them, I'm not going to hell. Like you guys. And I just said to them, I hope you guys remember this lesson as you get older. That's really all I told them. Um, and I just told the primary, I'm not, I'm moving next week. I don't think I'm coming back. <laughs> and <laughs> How I dare you, you influenced a bunch <laughs> of young ones. <laughs> and I never went back. Um, I kind of kept my name on the records just because I didn't have the energy to take it off. I have a special needs daughter. She's eight. Um, and when she was being diagnosed, she has a genetic disorder that has altered her brain. Um, she, her brain's different. Um, and people would tell me, oh, you know, you, because you were such a good person and you're so patient and you're so kind and accepting, God gave you her. And I kind of am like, fuck you, yeah. pardon my language, but really like if me being a good person means that my child has to suffer, I want to go back and redo things and I'm not going to be patient and kind. I wouldn't trade her for the world. I wouldn't change one thing about my daughter, but it's disgusting to me to think that people think that I, that she's the way she is because I was a good person. Like that's mm. wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So then the church started to come and ask us to baptize our kids. And my husband and I were both like, no, when they're 18, they can make these decisions. Eight's just not because you get baptized when you're eight, because then it's your choice. <laughs> but what eight-year-old is going to tell their parents? Like, no. Mm. Um, and I told them, you know, that I wasn't comfortable. And one lady from the like higher up in the church asked me, well, aren't you baptized? And I said, yeah, I am. And she said, so you're going to enjoy the blessings that come with being baptized and you're going to deny those blessings to your children. And that was the moment that I was like, and I'm out. I want my name off of your records. I never want you people to come back and talk to me. Like that's, you're belittling me as a mother when my children are, I mean, there was just no reason for that, I felt. So mm. it my leaving kind of started, I feel like, early. And I stayed because I wanted to appease my family. And it's a sense of community that I kind of wanted to keep. And the more the 
further I got away from it and the more I learned, the more I realized that it really wasn't for me. And I didn't believe in any of their teachings. Mm. So you said to appease family and things, uh, was there pushback from your family or how are relations with the family still in the church? Yeah. Yeah. So my mom has, I, I took a lot of my concerns and I talked to my mom about them. Um, I think that after some of my questions, my mom has really changed her mind a lot about the church. Um, and she doesn't, she's, does not attend church. She's still a member. Um, her name is still on the records. She does not attend church. She's not an active member. My grandmother doesn't know that I left the church. Um, I just figure she'll find out eventually. And I don't want to, I, I don't feel the need to cause it a fight between the two of us. She knows I don't attend church. So I, that in my opinion is fine. Yeah. My father-in-law, him and I are, we're very, very close. Um, and when I told him I was leaving, he asked me, he kind of begged me not to, he asked, wanted me to stay. And I asked him, I said, well, can you give me a good reason to stay? And he said, well, what if there was a natural disaster? Don't you want your neighbors to come and check on you? The church has a system and they'll come and check on members and help take care of you. And I just said to him, if there's a natural disaster and my neighbor doesn't come and check on me because I'm not a member of their religion, I don't think I want them to check on me. I think I'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's kind of, he's accepted it. My husband didn't get, take his name off of the records. He, and he wanted to wait till his dad passed um, just out of respect for his dad. Ultimately after I left and he saw how like, just the weight that was lifted he ultimately followed and and also had his name taken off um and I think that he like we've been able to maintain a relationship with them I have a strict rule of we don't talk about religion in our house mm. when religious people are here and I feel mm. like that has helped avoid any of those tensions yeah that's fair that's fair we, we, we tend to do that when it comes to like politics or things in my home so yeah we we have to have that same rule here too yeah yeah uh yeah oh well um mentioned uh you mentioned your husband i remember you mentioning about how um when he was a young man wanting to play basketball at school yeah um and I, I forgive me i can't remember it, we, it was when we were talking about the um the ironic and Melchizedek yes. priesthoods and I can't mm -hmm. remember which one he had to be a part of to play basketball yes so he has the ironic priesthood That's sometimes right. they pronounce it ironic here a lot like people just mispronounce it and I always laugh and I tease my husband I'm like you have the ironic priesthood ironically because <laughs> 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 and in the Mormon church you know it's a big deal women are supposed to um, respect and follow what their priesthood holder says. And your priesthood holder is your father, an older brother, or your husband. And when we're arguing, my, we're, my husband and I are very progressive. We have a lot of the same views as the two of you. Um, and sometimes, you know, we'll be like bickering back and forth and, and teasing each other and we won't be agreeing and he'll just go, well, I'm your priesthood holder. So I get the final say. <laughs> as you know just as like a joke and I always tell him well you don't the day that we moved in together and we were not married 
you lost your priesthood because you are no longer <laughs> worthy to hold that. <laughs> I love that. That's a great one. No, I'm not taking out the trash. I am your priest. <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly usually what it is. <laughs> um, so um, I, I, thank you. But before, like, obviously, we carry on just to acknowledge, like, thank you for being very open and honest with us. Like, and, and, and ever since we've started talking, you've been so open about sort of your, your, your story within the church um but one that sort of struck me was um when you were talking about your your mother's wedding at the temple yes um and how you just couldn't necessarily be a part of that yes um so I wondered if you could sort of go over that a bit yeah. just for everyone yes so my mom and stepdad so my stepdad essentially when he came into our lives he became my dad my real dad like I said earlier was not a great person. Um, and my stepdad just filled that role immediately. He wanted to be my dad and I was happy to have it. And he's, he's to this day, a great father to me. And him and my mom had a civil wedding and then they had to wait. I believe it was, a. there's like a waiting period after a civil ceremony before you can be sealed in the temple. Um, so my mom and stepdad essentially ended up getting sealed in the temple in 2014. And it was a big deal. Like it was a huge deal in their lives. Um, it's like this sacred thing. And I wasn't worthy. So I couldn't go in and help my mom put on the dress she was going to wear for the ceiling. And I couldn't help her do her hair or like I, I was essentially ex completely excluded uh, my husband and I went to the temple with our two daughters and we waited outside and we had to stand there until they were done with the ceremony and they came out and it was all over. And we were like, oh, we're glad that we're here when you came out of the temple. <laughs> we were not a part of any of it. And it was, it was really sad. Um, I, at that point, had really stepped away from the church and was, no, I didn't want to be a part of it, but I still wanted to be a part of my mom's experience, and I wanted to be a part of that. I mean, that's a big deal. It's essentially a wedding in God's eyes, and I was excluded, and my daughters were excluded, and my my grandfather who raised me, he was still alive and he was excluded. He couldn't even go in and be with his daughter to essentially give her away. And it just, it, it feels like essentially they're saying, you're good enough to wait outside. Please come and wait outside. It's important for you to be here and be outside, but don't think that you're important enough to be inside and partake in the ceremony. Mm. I I mean I remember when I read that and I was just I remember I was telling my partner and I've, I've told all my family and I was just like I can't imagine not being able to partake in something that is supposed to be such a joyous and right. momentous part in someone's life filled with love and you know hope and all these things for like a future and yet like you can't you've just stood outside on the grass waiting for it to to end so that you can say hello to them I, I find that so bizarre yeah it was very sad um I was really glad when it was over <laughs> mm. Mm. it was not a day that I was excited for um and I think my mom looks back on that now and sometimes I think she also 
feels a little cheated that her kids couldn't be with her. Mm. One thing I'm really interested to get your perspective on is sort of the perception of the church. Sorry, I'm changing the subject a little bit because in England, I feel the Mormon church is quite a, quite an American establishment. In England, we have a very different view of it. I find that it's very Book of Mormon. Um, occasionally yes. we'll see Mormons, especially in, uh, I lived in Bournemouth the past couple of months. There's a, there's a large influx of Mormons. Um, I'm not sure why, but you can spot them from a mile away. The white shirt, black tie, <laughs> name badge. But they are the nicest people that I've yes. ever met. Almost to the point where it's overly nice, where it's a bit sinister, but still yeah. lovely people yes what are are they on a mission sort of what what yes i've always wondered what it is they're doing yeah so i have a total thing on this (laughs) so they're missionaries um essentially when um men in the church when they turn 18 um they go on a two-year mission when you go on a mission you're you have a calling when you get your calling it's a huge thing um most people around utah will facebook live it so that everyone can be there when you open your mission calling and you read it and it's very emotional for the families. Um, and then you're essentially given like a month or two to prepare to go. You go to the MTC, it's the Missionary Training Center. You And there are they're located in a couple of places around the world. And you go and for about three or four months, you spend every waking moment being prepared for this mission. And they teach you how to be nice and they teach you the right things to say. And you study the Book of Mormon and you you're essentially like you're going to go out and you're going to recruit people to be a part. That's the whole the point of a mission is you go and you're going to recruit people and baptize them into the church. Yeah. Um, so they are they are super friendly and they are super nice. It's really sad. They're not allowed to talk to their family members for that whole two years. You can't have really? contact with your friends. Yeah, no friends, no family, no social media. You're, uh, you have a mission president and they literally watch everything you do. Um, you get to call your mom on Mother's Day and then you can call your family on Christmas. So you twice a year get to speak with your family. That's it. Right. Um, you, If you decide not to go on a mission because you have a girlfriend, your girlfriend is 100% blamed. and. I was dating someone in high school who was not my husband. Um, we had been dating for like the whole four years of high school. He didn't go on a mission. <laughs> and uh, to be fair, I wasn't super supportive of a mission. Um, his family, he he's to this day very, very into the church. Um, and his family, I think, still resents me a little bit because of it. They feel like I held him back from going on a mission and reaching his potential because wow. I wasn't a supportive girlfriend of a mission and I was just like you can go on a mission but I'm not gonna wait for two years like I'm, I want to be 18 and 19 I, I want to go experience life yeah. um I wasn't super into the church then anyways so I always look back and go oh it's weird that we even happened to date and have it work for a minute um I also know a handful of people who were sent home on their mission. I have a friend who um, met a girl on his mission and snuck out one night to go and meet her and got caught and got sent home. Um, If you have a mental health crisis on your mission, you're sent home. Um, 
I have a friend who I was really good friends with all through high school who he came out as um, being gay, not while on his mission, but I think he kind of realized it on his mission and had a mental health crisis and they sent him home. And if you get sent home from your mission, there is a stigma uh, that you never can shake because you've done something so horrible that the church had to send you home from your mission. And it's really heartbreaking because a lot of times these people just, they just had a panic attack or they questioned them, their, the faith themselves. And instead of getting them proper help, we just send them home and they're no longer our problem. Yeah, mm. I, can't, I can imagine the mental health crisis must be quite quite large, especially being away from family, but also in foreign countries, especially yeah. in England. If you tend to preach to people, you will get berated for it and <laughs> people will come at you quite quickly. So yeah. imagine going door to door and having your views questioned every house you go to must really put some question marks up for you. Yeah. Then, but then in your head, you have to be so sure of what you're saying. Otherwise, you're going to get sent home. I'd like, I'm going to assume that part of like your training is like to take rejection because you know yes. it's going to happen a lot. Right. Yeah, it is part of their training. Um, but I think a lot of I think a lot of them like get the question of well, what about this history? And they can't answer that. And I think at some point it starts to wear on them. And it seems to be happening more and more as people do more and more research and find out for themselves, they're questioned more. And I think it, it, I mean, it takes a toll on them. And it's really sad, the stigma that they carry after they come home. My um, granddad, he had a couple of Mormons turn up at his door and he, <laughs> he likes to talk to people. So he engaged them, he invited them in. He, he took the pamphlet, he listened to what they had to say. And he thought they were the nicest people. He's not religious in the slightest, but he kept the pamphlet. And every time now he gets Jehovah's Witnesses to his door who are a bit more pushy with <laughs> Yes, them. I remember he, you he saying He will take this. the pamphlet of the Mormons and preach Mormonism to them, which I think is hilarious. That I no think that's the best. Of the churches. <laughs> I love, that's my favorite. So... I left, I was officially out of the church in April of this year and they send you like a letter saying, you know, we've removed you. I call it my diploma, my cult leaving diploma. <laughs> <laughs> and I have it, it's all special. Um, <laughs> but right after they started sending the missionaries to my house to try to get me to come back. Yeah. And I, I asked them, I was like, you know, how do you just, if you can answer these questions, I'll entertain letting you guys teach me. Mm. and one of the girls just said to me you know it's I think it's just normal for people to step away from the church but you'll come back and I was like no I have <laughs> yeah. so many I have a sister-in-law who is married to a woman and I love her with every fiber of my being and the thought of not of like being a part of something that won't accept her like there are just layers upon layers of reasons that I'm not coming back to your church. Mm. I can imagine um, if they knew you were doing this podcast, it probably wouldn't go down very well. I put it on my Facebook and my Instagram. And so my best friend still is an active member of the church. Um, she knows my thoughts on it. She knows that I am doing this. She loves me enough to just she respects my views and I love her and I respect her views. And I'm like, it's okay that you still go to church. Like it does, it doesn't change my opinion of her. She is 
the exception to the rule. Most of them would be like, we, most of them aren't friends with me. I have lost friends. I have neighbors who won't wave at me because I don't come to church. And I'm just like, cool. This is why I don't want to be a part of this. It's absolutely crazy. Like, so I think for this would be fair to say for James, you and I, um, that for most people that we come across that may be religious in the UK, um, it's just, you know, box standard, you know, big, big four religions or whatever, you know, Christianity, Islam, all that kind of stuff. And if you're not into it, you're not into it. It is what it is. Yeah. Whereas like for this, it's like, no, I literally will not shake hands with you or even look at you. And if you're not a part of it, I find that so interesting and wrong. <laughs> right. And it's very much a Utah thing. Um, it's, it's very concentrated here. And it does go back to that. We all need to see who can be the best Mormon. And if you're not helping us to be the best Mormon, then you just can't be a part of us, period. Mm. And I say that with, like, I have friends that are, that still are practicing Mormons who are the most amazing people. And I, and in my opinion, embody real Christianity where they're just like, yeah, we don't care. You're a good person. And so we love you because of that. But that is not widely practiced in Utah, even though it is, it does happen. There are, there are sects of people who are very uh, accepting and loving, but the vast majority are just not interested unless, and, and it is preached too. Um, when I was a kid, you shouldn't date someone who's not a Mormon and you shouldn't spend time with people who aren't because they're going to influence you in a bad way. Mm. And so it's, it's kind of, they're, they're taught. And so I, I try to give them grace for that. You know, you're, you were taught to not accept me. So how can you ever know that I am a good person and I am a fun time and you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to convert you to not be a Mormon. I just yeah. want to be accepted, you know? So, um, if oh, I sorry. sorry, go on, James. Um, sorry, earlier you mentioned the word cult, and I was kind of interested to see whether this word will come up <laughs> because I've always been hesitant to do episodes on, say, Scientology, for example, because they're very relentless, they tend to come at people very quickly. Is yes. the Mormon church similar in this way? Because obviously, if you go up to someone in the Mormon church and call it a cult, I imagine they're not gonna be very thankful about this, right? Is it cult like or is it more religious? I believe that it's a mix of the two. I believe that it's a religious cult. Um, I think that any time that you start to hide your true history and that you're manipulating people, like um, people around here give 10% of their money, even if they can't afford their rent, they before they pay their bills, they pay the church their tithing. Mm -hmm. And um, they're doing that to an organization who has billions of dollars. Um, that was hidden for a long time. It's just come out in the last couple of years that they have billions of dollars that they we don't know about because they don't have to file taxes because they're a church. And in America, churches don't pay taxes. And um, it's, it's insane. And these people don't even know the true history of what they're buying into. And in my view, once that starts to happen, that's very manipulative and culture manipulative. So by default, that, in my opinion, would cast categorize you, sorry, categorize you as a cult. Um, 
but they are religious and they do believe in God and they do believe they are Christians. They do believe in Christ and that whole story. And, um, but there is that level of manipulation that I believe crosses the line of, okay, now, now you're no longer just, there's, um, a story that's happening right now where there are bishops who have had children come to them and and tell them I'm being sexually abused by my my parents or my father and if it's someone that they deem who needs like important enough to be protected they are sweeping it under the rug and they are not helping these victims and these and it's all coming there are multiple bishops that have been arrested recently within the last like month or two um people are trying to sue the church because like a, a little a, a woman came forward and she was like in 2007 I was being abused and I went to my bishop and my bishop protected my dad and didn't and it oh. it continued the abuse continued for years mm-hmm. and now she's an adult and she's like you should you guys are in trouble you should be in trouble for this and they found that the church has a hotline that the bishops call and it's manned by the lawyers of the church and they're helping these bishops to sweep it under the rug and at the end of the day they're destroying all transcripts of every call that has come in so that it cannot be traced so that that does to me feel very cult-like rather than a religion oh so sinister oh yeah uh, that that's you shocked me that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really sad it's that's awful. and it's all just just recently all coming to light um but it's also growing up in this religion it's not shocking mm-hmm. at all in in any form to me <laughs> i do think that um having when when we done obviously the, the the series um and following joseph smith i i think i described him as a cult figure um or at least a leader of sorts um and it's it's one of those I think that's how it kind of started and I don't think it's I can't obviously I can't say I'm not a part of it but having spoke to you about your experience in the sort of the modern Mormon church it seems to be like that there are elements of the origins that have gone well that works so if it ain't broke don't fix it kind of attitude um and so like yeah Smith sort of cultish things have stayed on which brings me to um revelation 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 um (laughs) obviously smith was a big fan of revelations left right and center in you know uh uh, lads you're not allowed to spit in the house anymore because god said so um down to like you know we can have more wives because god says so um how basically in in terms of the modern ones we know that obviously mormons approach to people of color within the church changed in the 70s because of revelation and you were mentioning uh, about um people maybe in the lgbtq community not necessarily being uh, accepted within the church do you think there could at some point be a revelation come forward where people in the lgbtq community would become accepted yes um not i don't think that they'll ever be allowed to hold any positions of power or priesthood Um, but there is a huge pushback right now from that community to have the church be more open. Um, people that go to BYU, they're supposed to not tell, like if it's the don't ask, don't tell policy, essentially. 
Um, and a lot of them are pushing back. Um, the, there's a giant Y on the side of the mountain at BYU and they sneak up there all the time and try to, they light it up with the LGBTQ colors. And they're all of them are essentially, they, they are arrested every time it happens because BYU is like, this is not, we don't accept this and this is not okay. And there are people that are leaving the church because they're like, it bothers me because I don't care if they love each other and I don't care if they get married. And it's weird that we're trying to tell them that it's not okay. So, and, and I'll give that to the Mormons. Um, there are a lot of times when like the vast majority of Mormons will say, but who cares if they get married? It's wrong that we're trying to tell them what to do. And that's when a revelation will come. And it's like, oh, we're going to be accepting of them. And it's okay now because mm -hmm. people are leaving and we don't want them to leave. So now it's okay. And I do see that being still living here. I do see a lot of the pushback. And so I, I do I feel in the next five years, there will be some revelation of, we can be accepting of it. They still can't get married in the temple and they still can't hold power, but they can come and be open about it and we'll be okay with it. Hmm. So Ryan mentioned this when talking about the revelations and it's very stereotypical view in Mormonism, the multiple wives for these men. In Utah, what is sort of the situation around people with multiple spouses? Is it, is it the done thing or is it only in select groups that that happens? No. <laughs> so the school that my children go to, there are a handful of polygamist kids that go and we can tell we know, you know, that they are, you can tell by the way they look and the way they dress. Um, they're great people. They're super kind. Um, I think they're a little more accepting of others because they, they know what it feels like to be ostracized. It's not legal. It's technically not legal still to have multiple wives, um, which I don't, if nobody's being hurt by it, I don't see why it's a big deal. Um, but it's, there's a town in Utah called Lehigh and you can drive through Lehigh and you can say, oh, that's a polygamist house. And that's a polygamist house because you can see the different wings for the different wives because they try to keep them, even though they're one family, they still keep their, their wives have their own living quarters. And that's kind of what key, helps keep the peace. Mm. And you go to, we have the biggest Costco in the world um, in Utah, God, which wow. is, that, that's something. <laughs> it is, it is massive. It's, I mean, I love Costco. So <laughs> Costco is, is a whole cult, its own cult, right? Like a whole separate thing. Um, but we go, you go to Costco on Saturday and you'll see like there's three or four wives and they have the long prairie dresses and their hair is braided and they look there's, you can tell there's not a question, you know, that what they're, and they'll have multiple carts and the flat beds that are just stacked and they're just grocery shopping for their families for the week. And it's just the normal, like we just see them out and about. Mm. 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 Uh, James, uh, we never, I, I never covered it just because we didn't, we don't get that far in the Mormon story because we, we stop when Joseph Smith dies. Um, but in terms of Brigham Young, it, how important polygamy is to like Utah as a state existing, it, it, it goes hand in hand. They, the, the American government was like, you cannot exist unless you get rid of polygamy. That was genuinely like a, a belief uh, that that was the that was the the trade-off i believe yes. if i'm right 
Yeah, yeah, we, I, I told you about that. Um, yeah, so when Utah was seeking statehood, you know, they wanted that government funding and government money and they, America was like, no, you guys practice polygamy and that's, yeah, we're not down with that. And so there was a revelation that it was time to stop plural marriage. <laughs> it was a trade so that we could have statehood so which is such an state. odd thing um uh, because <laughs> it, it's such a big part of the religion it's something that joseph smith said by rev divine revelation from god that this is a done okay thing and yet it could be just switched when it is convenient so quick yes like i said there's the rules are applied when it's convenient when covid started that was the thing um you know the prophet was like we should all wear masks and get boosters and a lot of mormons were like no i think i want to practice my this is one of those times where you're just a man you're not a prophet so we're just going to practice our free will and not take covid seriously oh, wow so even though it, what, what was it was that revelation that masks should be worn or was it just advice it was he the prophet said i believe he said because I obviously don't partake in like conference and all of that, but he did come out and, and he did say um, that we should, this, these are the things we should do to protect each other and, and protect our brothers and sisters. Cause that's what they're called. So the Mormons, the men are called brothers and the women are sisters. So we're all brothers and sisters because we're all children of God, which yeah. gets super <laughs> creepy. I, I've never been down with that. Um, but a lot of Mormons were just like, no, God didn't tell me, so I'm not doing it. And I just mm -hmm. was like, mm. but everything else the prophet says we have to do. Yeah. But these uh, little things are okay not to. Um, James, I remember uh, when at the towards the end of the series, I mentioned sort of Brigham Young very briefly. Mm -hmm. But I think I had a quote from Brigham Young when polygamy started coming into the story, how he was pretty much saying that he'd rather die than have another wife. And then once he becomes sort of the prophet, I think this guy had like 50 or so wives. This guy yeah. like was like, he just got this guy went all in, absolutely loved it. Well, here's the crazy thing: most Mormons do not even realize that joseph smith was a polygamist they all believe that emma was his only wife and when you start like telling them and listing like the other wives they get so mad because they're like emma, no it was just emma and it's like no it wasn't but emma herself said that she was his only wife right even she and was I, like no none of them none of them no that doesn't happen that's not a thing right and they they use that because they're like well you know emma's the, the Emma's the woman that we embody to be because she supported her husband even when it was hard and it's like I know you guys watched that keep sweet and obey yes. um and that's how women in the Mormon church still are taught like you always need to be sweet and you always need to come across as being kind and you cannot ever get angry and so they look at Emma and they've manipulated it to be that Emma never questioned him and Emma never faltered and she believed wholeheartedly and she didn't. <laughs> she nah, really didn't. She, she was a tough cookie. She knew every step of the way, like what he was up to. A hundred percent, I believe that. She knew what yeah, was going on. It's, 
and like you know you'll tell him like he the 14 year old nanny that was there he married her oh no he didn't click no he did he really it's okay to just be like hey our founder was problematic and that doesn't mean you have to change your view if that's what you feel but it's okay to be accepting of what happened Mm, mm. (laughs) so through the whole story i just felt deeply sorry for emma it seemed like she had from a ride for a ride from day one if i was in a room with someone who was shoving their head into a hat saying they're reading some odd <laughs> plates i i don't i think i'd be out of there but fair play to her i think she's quite a strong woman for sticking around as long as she did and staying so defiant yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah she was she was a i don't think i could have done it so no, pass off to her yeah of a saint um so to sort of um wrap up a bit um my, I have a, one of my, the one question I've been like dying to ask is how did I do? You did great. Um, <laughs> even some of the things like I was like, oh, I didn't realize that. So I think you did amazing. I think you really, I, um, I put it on my Facebook and it was one of the least liked <laughs> posts <laughs> on my Facebook. Because I live in Utah, so the vast majority of the people that I know on there are Mormons, and they were instantly like, and they know my views. All of my friends know that I'm not a member, and so all of them were like, we know where this is probably going to go. Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, you guys should listen and just, you know, just learn. And if you don't agree with it, that's okay, but you should try to learn. I always find it interesting mm. getting other people's perceptions of who you are. I love getting people's perceptions of England who aren't English. So I think it'd be interesting if people in the Mormon church did listen to two English blokes who right. don't have a clue just about how they're perceived. Just out of interest yeah. more than anything. Right. I think a lot of them are aware that the rest of the world views them differently. Um, but they're taught to just carry on, to keep mm. sweet and obey. Our education system doesn't really delve into Mormonism at all, really, from what right. I remember. Um, Ryan series is the first I really learned about it. I think the Book of Mormon on stage is the most it's hilarious. You'll get. <laughs> and it's when they come here, when they come to Utah and do that play, it's there are so many like inside things that you would never know unless you were from Utah. <laughs> that I just like I love that play. I, I find it hilarious. Mm. Yeah, that's my, my my partner and I. It's one of our favorite shows that we'll definitely see, like, you know, try it, try to see as often as possible. Yes. It's I love so Broadway. I I have I love Hamilton and the Book of Mormon. So mm. it's any musical that I that is that you can learn from, I I love it. Um well, thank you so much for joining us, Gina, because this has been amazing. Not so yeah this is uh, the first interview we've ever done on the podcast so thank you very much for being our first ever guest and thank you so much for all of your insight because it's been invaluable and massive massively helpful for me doing this well mammoth series (laughs) well and thank you guys like like I said before we started recording you guys have you've been like my my partner when I'm lonely so it's the least I can do I will say like as one last thing um the Mormon church clearly has a lot of flaws um but there are there are good things that they do if you look at the broad scope it doesn't really like it's not that great compared to what they could do but they do help people and they do send aid when bad things happen so 
there are good things that do come out of some religions. Um, and I think that's fair to kind of give them credit there for that. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I think uh, James, James mentions it quite a few times on the show where it's like, listen, as long as it's not hurting anyone and you're doing good yeah. by it, crack on. Right. I agree with all that. So thank you once again to Gina for joining us on the show. Um, we massively, massively appreciate you uh, and all your help uh, when we were doing the Mormons and sharing us, uh, sharing with us your story and trusting us with your story um, and allowing us to share it to all of you guys listening now. So yes, thank you very much. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that uh, segment and it's completely different for us uh, in terms of what we do normally. So I hope you guys did enjoy it. Please let us know if you enjoyed that and it's something you'd like us to do uh, again in future because um, it's something that we massively enjoyed and would would really like to do again at some point in the future. James, how was that for you? I I I loved it. As someone who's studied journalism and does interviews and stuff, sometimes you'll do interviews and they'll be completely dead, and you think there's nothing in this I can use. And then other times you have interviews that are so fascinating that you forget yourself that you're there for some sort of purpose, and you just get really interested in the topic. And that's exactly what happened to Gina. I I completely forgot we were recording a podcast and. <laughs> We were yeah. talking to someone thousands and thousands of miles away. I just thought the she was so articulate about everything and so knowledgeable. Oh yeah, and it was just it was just so interesting to hear someone's experiences within the Mormon Church and and put modern day perspective onto what we've spent what was it three or four episodes discussing the the histories of. So thank you so much, Gina, for your time. Um, again, we can't thank you enough for for coming on and and telling us about your your story because it must have been hard there was some challenging stuff that was mentioned as well there's some hardships in there mm. yes there was some so thank you for being there. so open yeah um so yeah thank you very much for being open with us um whilst we're just wrapping up now um there's a couple things i wanted to uh bring up um uh, one was i think i may mention this before but we uh, recently went through all the uh paperworky bits that we need to do for it um, obviously the distributor that we use uh, to put out the podcast um, obviously is paid annually and thank you thanks to all the donations from you guys listening um, we were able to once again for the second year running uh, pay that from your kind donations so um, for two years running now this podcast is almost in a uh, to use a better word I suppose this podcast is now self-sufficient it's able to pay for itself and that is thanks to you guys listening so thank you so so much to everyone who has continued to support and donate to the show we massively appreciate it we absolutely love doing this show and we want to continue doing that and the fact that you guys are able to help donate to us means that we can continue to do it so thank you very much um, and on that uh, we recently received uh, a donation from Nicole, who we've never received a donation from before. Um, so uh, Nicole uh, sent us um, a lovely donation, which was so, so uh, welcome, um, and mentioned that uh, our, run our rants about Americans is amazing. <laughs> and uh most i've always wondered how they're perceived yes uh thank uh, and also mostly truthful so it seems we've got quite a good grip on uh modern america <laughs> i think we've got a good grip on people that agree with us i think if, maybe the people that disagree with our views don't listen <laughs> yes um so yes thank you very much to cole for your donation we massively appreciate it um also massive thank you to everyone who continues to message us and um send us lots of kind words uh, we've had a few recently um so yes that we had a really really nice email um the other day 
was just amazing. So <laughs> um, thank you very much for getting in contact with us. Um, whilst we're here, I recently bought some merch, which I'm really excited for. I bought some hoodies. It'll be the first time I've actually purchased a hoodie from the store. James is currently sat opposite yeah. me on the screen wearing they got, one. They're good hoodies. They are good hoodies. Yeah. Um, I ordered yeah. a, I ordered two getting ready for the winter season or the autumnal season, or as some Americans mm. would call it, fall. Um, so if you fall. too would like to get prepared for fall, um, you too can head over to the uh, the shop and purchase yourself a hoodie. Um, one thing I did want to do, and I, it, will, it will go up at some point uh, within the week, so keep an eye out for it. We'll be posting it on our socials. James doesn't know this. I'm literally putting this out right now. Um, what I would really like to do is basically let you guys have your say on what goes on the merch store so what i really wanted to do was instead of me just uh you know coming up with i think that'll be nice on a t-shirt because i like the idea of it being on a t-shirt <laughs> um, i thought what would be a really good idea is have you guys who listen to us and you guys who love you know the show have your say on what you would like to see on merch so um at some point mm. soon there's going to be um a small little survey link that you'll be able to go on to and it will kind of just ask, what would you like to see on some merch, on a t-shirt or on a hoodie? Let us know what your thoughts are, whether it's something that we've said in the past, maybe it's something we say fairly often that I cannot think of, or if it's just any idea or artwork that you might have that you would like us to put on a t-shirt, just send it our way. Um, and yeah, we would get in touch with the shop that we use online and just, yeah, get it on some merch. So yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, get involved. Get yourself some some decent merch that you design. That's it. Yeah, we want you guys to be involved as much as, as we are. This is your show as much as it is ours. We just we just host it, and that's it. Really, literally, that's we just host it. And for you, um, TikTok lovers out there, I've mentioned this to Ryan, and if I say it on air, it holds me accountable. <laughs> we're gonna start a TikTok channel, and we're gonna be doing like minute snippets or sort of previews of each episode. Um, I need to send Ryan some drafts in my head. I know exactly how it's gonna go, but I need to actually do it. Uh, and then that'll be up. So if you if you like TikTok, we'll let you know when that's up, and you can you can see our faces talking about some stuff, and hopefully that interests you. I don't know, seeing us pop up on your for you yeah, page. Yeah, I have to learn how to use TikTok now. Um, I love TikTok. I spend hours and hours on TikTok every day. I don't. <laughs> I live on YouTube. I'm addicted, Ryan. It's a problem. I, live, I don't watch YouTube. I live on it. I live on it. I use it every single day. I just my attention span is so small if a video is longer than 30 seconds you've lost mm. me well well i've had a lot of people that listen to us mention oh you guys should have a youtube channel uh and and whilst the, we, we discussed it once and thought oh yeah it's be a good idea it's a lot of effort to run a youtube channel we mentioned this to gina at the end of our little conversation i'm in my head i want to go to all the places that we talk about and do documentaries visual documentaries that is my dream if that that would be great unfortunately though these things are hella expensive and hella time consuming maybe we'll do a couple around london and test it i think that's probably the first step for us mm. and then obviously we'd love to go to the states because that's where a lot of our listeners are and and see the histories of of who we've spoke about but yeah, there are things in the pipeline. We do have ideas. We're always trying to progress. So let's just see where yeah. it goes. All right, then. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, next episode is still due. Uh, we are. I'm writing on Mick, Mick Philpott. Um, so that will, should be out within the next week. Um, 
fingers crossed everything goes well because things are getting busy at work um so yes touch wood. as always now yes so um yeah look out for that thank you very much for listening and we shall see you on the next one goodbye